0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is God angry with you? We just heard the law. We've been confronted with our sins. We've compared our lives with that perfect standard of God's righteousness. And we know who we are and we know what we've done. And we know what we deserve. So is God angry with us? Well, this is the gospel. God is not angry with us. God loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us with an unending love, an enduring love. He loves us as much as he loves his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and we share in that love of God. God rejoices over us. God delights in us. He is well-pleased with us as much as he delights in and is well-pleased with his own Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we rejoice in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. We have joy in God and joy in each other. And God is at peace with us. Do you think that God could ever be in conflict with himself? That's impossible. There is eternal, infinite harmony and well-being in the Holy Trinity, Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There can be no disorder in God, nothing out of place between the persons of the Trinity. And because God has come to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit, God is at peace with you. All is well between us and God. Now last week, because of the Lord's Supper, we concentrated on the background to this Peace that is the fruit of the Spirit. We dealt with the scriptural teaching of how this peace was lost in the fall and how the Father sent the Son into the world as the the Prince of Peace to reestablish the kingdom of peace. And we we learned and we were reminded of of what that cost. That Christ reestablished peace between God and man by destroying sin on the cross. And we were reminded of how we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood of the cross. We, we remembered how the Lord's Supper is a, a peace-offering meal. It is a shalom meal. God's people sit down together in the presence of God, and we celebrate that all is paid for, all is dealt with. There is nothing outstanding, nothing owed. All is well, and that's why it's remarkable as we read the gospels after the resurrection. The Lord Jesus, whenever he meets his disciples, he greets them with the words, Peace be with you. Shalom. That is the gospel, that's the good news, that's what the word proclaims to every man, woman, and child who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. All is well, God is is not angry with you. There is peace between you and God. That's what the Word proclaims. That's what the Holy Supper guarantees. And that's what every one of us carries around on our bodies. We carry around a sign and a seal stamped onto our foreheads, which says it's true. There is peace between you and God. All is well. So sometimes you're distressed and overwhelmed by your sins, by your guilt, by your unworthiness. Just look to the gospel, which is stamped onto your very body and which tells you that all of your guilt has been washed away. It is well. So believer, is God angry with you? And the only answer that the believer can give is no, he is not angry with me. He loves me. He delights in me. He rejoices in me. He is at peace with me because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives in me by his Spirit. And today we will search the Scriptures to see how this peace that we have with God in Christ, how this peace, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, how this peace transforms us and and works in us and works through us. You see, if if we're temples of the Holy Spirit individually and as a church, then that's going to look like something. That's going to be noticeable. Just like in the Old Testament, you could tell which building was the temple because it was um, an amazing-looking building. It was adorned with gold and silver and the very best woodwork and glorious artistic wall hangings. It was ornate and ornamented with glory to proclaim to everyone, this is the dwelling place of God Most High. And so it is in the New Testament. The New Testament temple is the church. And the church is built of living stones. That's us, every believer, a living stone. And as the temple of God, the church is richly adorned as the residence of the King of Kings. And, and Reformed churches make a point of making the building where they meet pretty simple so that we don't lose the focus on the real building, the building which is being built in this building, the temple of God. That's where the ornamentation is. That's where the glory is because the church of God is adorned with the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit declares to the world, God lives here. The love and the joy And the peace which fill the church and overflow from the church, proclaim that this is the residence of the very Spirit of God. Now we read Ephesians chapter 4. As we turn back to Ephesians for a moment, look at verse 3 with me in your Bible, Ephesians 4 verse 3, where Paul is speaking about the, the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.3, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Literally, the word bond here is the word ligaments, the things that hold stuff together, the things that tie things together the bond of peace, it's talking about what what puts everything in its place, all the parts joined together, all the parts united, working in harmony in the body of Christ. That's the character of the church. That's the character of the temple of God. It is a place where there is unity in the spirit, tied together in the peace of God. If you look at the Verse 16, the last verse we read, it speaks about that, that, that healthy body, speaking about the, the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So love and peace go together. You remember from last week that in the Psalms, the psalmist at one point says, there's no health in my bones, and the word he uses is shalom. There's no shalom in my bones. My body's not working properly. Things are out of joint. Things are out of kilter. Well, the New Testament declares to us that the body of Christ is the body of shalom. It is a body which is whole. It is a body where every part is in its right place and working in the right way. And so because of that, the church, the temple of God is an oasis of peace in a world of conflict and confusion. That's what the gospel sets before us. And we know we've come from living in the world for the last six days. We know what the news says. We know what social media says. We know all the strife, all the conflict, all the brokenness, all the pain All the violence and the hatred and the anger, that's the way things have been ever since the fall. But throughout the entire history of redemption, God has called broken sinners back to his presence, back to peace. And that's already evident in the very name of the city in which the temple was set in the Old Testament, Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of whose foundations are peace. You remember Psalm 29. We dealt with Psalm 29 New Year's Eve. And you remember Psalm 29 speaks about the world and the chaos and the destruction of, of sin and also the, the the wrath of God in the world. And you remember how at the end of Psalm 29, it's in the temple that there is rejoicing. And it is in the temple that God blesses his people with peace. That's what the gospel has been telling humanity ever since the garden ever since the exile from the garden god has been saying come back to me with me is peace and so we can see that in isaiah 32 for instance if you turn to isaiah 32 verse 15 and isaiah 32 15 is 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 just in the verses before, speaking about the, the brokenness and the, the judgment upon sin and upon disobedience and the wrath of God, and the prophet says, You know what? These things are going to keep going. The consequences of choosing sin and the pain that comes from it is going to keep going until until what? We'll look at verse 15 of Isaiah 32 until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then, when? When the Spirit is poured out, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever, my people will abide in a peaceful habitation. This is a prophecy in the end, in the long term, it's the prophecy about Pentecost. When God has made all things right in the world by the death and the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the Spirit is poured out, and all is right between man and God and the blood of the cross, then there will be peace. Because when everything's right with God, we don't have to run away from Him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We can run to Him, and we can enter behind the curtain with boldness and confidence because we can live with him in love and enjoy the way we were supposed to live now, if you turn to Isaiah 48 a few chapters further Isaiah 48:18 God tells his people what it takes to to have this peace it takes something 48, eight, uh sorry 48:18 of Isaiah Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. We sang about that, right? We sang Psalm 119. When we walk in the way of God's law, there is great peace. When we choose sin, when we turn our backs on God, there's no peace. Look at verse 22. What does it say, Isaiah 48, 22? There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Why not? Because God loves to uh, chase after the wicked and make their lives miserable? No, because the wicked choose to flee from God and run away from the very source of life and the very overflowing fountain of all goodness. It's just a fact that if you choose to live your life away from God and outside of Christ, you are choosing a life with no peace, no joy, and no love. And because peace is so bound up with righteousness, with being being right with God, that's why the church is a place overflowing with peace because the church is the body of Christ. The church is believers united to Christ. And Christ is the sin killer. Christ is the one who kept the law. Christ is our righteousness. Christ has made everything right between God and man. We have peace with God. We have peace with each other in the blood of the cross. The fall is undone the brokenness is healed, the relationships are reconciled. That's why there is great peace to be found in the temple of God, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this promise, this gospel, this good news is only for believers. It's only in the way of faith. It's not that if you, if you love sin and you love Uh, continuing in sin, and you love uh, embracing your sin, just showing up in a church of us isn't going to change things between you and God. There's nothing magic about this this auditorium that's going to change your heart or life. What you need is repentance and faith. You need to be united with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are when you're connected with Christ by true faith, you're grafted into him, then then the peace of God changes you. It it fills you. It transforms you. It just starts welling up and overflowing from you. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Romans 8, 6. What does Paul say about that? In Romans 8, 6, he says, For to set the mind of the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. If you have no or very little peace in your life, you have to ask yourself, what am I setting my mind on? Because this is what the Scripture says. You don't want peace? Well, you set your mind on the flesh then. Set your mind on the things of the flesh. Then you won't have any peace. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, then you will know life and you will know peace. So peace governs our minds as believers. And it also governs our relationships. Turn a few pages further to Romans 12 verse 18. Romans 12 18. This is what things look like in the body of Christ. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's what a believer looks like. It's someone who seeks peace. As much as it depends on us, as far as it depends on me, I seek to live at peace with everyone. You can tell somebody like that from a mile off in the current climate. And peace not only governs our relationships, it also governs our actions. Look at Romans 14 now. Romans 14 verse Oh, well, correction. Yeah, Romans 14 verse 19. So Paul says here, Romans 14 verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. If we've got peace in our minds, if we seek peace in relationships, then we choose to do what we do based on how much peace it leads to, how much mutual edification it leads to. That's what governs our decision-making process as children of God. That's what governs uh, whether or not we write a letter to the consistory. And if we do, how we we write it. That's what governs how we have discussions with other believers about hot topics, about church order, or about uh, public health measures, or about anything, politics, sanctification, and, and theology in general. We decide to do what we do. We decide to say what we say because it makes for peace. And if something will not make for peace, we don't do it and we don't say it. That's what it looks like to live in the power of the Spirit. So peace governs our minds, and our relationships, our actions. Peace also governs our liturgy. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14.33, the Corinthians were a church blessed by many of the special gifts of the Holy Spirit, which were active in the period before the scriptures were totally complete. And so God gave extra signs and extra gifts of the Spirit that were extraordinary. And Corinth had a lot of them and everybody wanted to show off their gift to everybody else. So that the, the, the church services were a great big chaos because nobody wanted to wait for the other person. They're like, no, look at my gift. Look at my gift. And they were talking through each other and they were interrupting each other. And what does, what does Paul say to the Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And he says that, after giving clear instructions about an orderly method of worship. Everything should be decently done decently and in order, as verse 40 of this chapter says. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That principle underlies biblical worship. And that peace also governs our church discipline. We, we dealt with that last week, how, how peace is only possible... When that spear is driven through the incarnation of sin, sin has to be dealt with. And it was dealt with on the cross. And there can be no peace in the church. There can be no peace in our relationships. There can be no peace in our our families. If we are sweeping sin under the carpet, we have to deal with sin. And we have to deal with it biblically. And it's only in that way that peace, harmony, and reconciliation can be experienced in the church of God. And peace is so important for the church that the apostle says something very, very uh, strong in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Titus 3, 10. He says something very, very Cutting here about people that disturb the peace of God's church, God's temple. Titus 3:10, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. So the apostle, the scriptures teach us, God teaches us in the scripture, that the church will not tolerate factiousness. If someone's stirring up arguments if someone's trying to cause tribalism within the people of God, setting one group against another and causing conflict and anger and disturbing the peace of God's people, then the Bible's very clear. Once, twice, and you're out of here. This is a place of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, but those who hate peace have no home in the church of the living God. So peace governs our liturgy, our church discipline. It also rules in our hearts as believers. Turn to Colossians 3.15 for a moment. Colossians 3.15. And what does the apostle say? It's kind of a a parallel passage to Ephesians. So Colossians 3.15, he says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The peace of Christ, says the scripture, ought to be ruling in our hearts. Now all week long, we have been bombarded with quarrels and dissensions and strife and conflict and tribalism and division and disunity in the news and social media and in general in society. And when we gather on Sunday as God's people, as the church, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we turn our backs on all of that. We come in the congregation of God's people. We come to a place where we experience a taste of heaven, where we experience a taste of the eternal peace of God, In Christ and in the church in the temple of God peace rules in one body see the emphasis there in Colossians as it was in Ephesians chapter 4 in the oneness the unity of the body joined together by those ligaments which are peace bound together we love one another in Christ we find joy in one another. We delight in one another in Christ. And we experience profound peace with one another in Christ. That's how we need to be looking at each other, brothers and sisters. We, we, we ought not to be looking at each other and say, well, yeah, there, there's that person whose political views are this way or that way from mine. Or there's that person that has that opinion on that subject. And that's not who, that's not my tribe. That's not me. That's not who I hang around with. No, brothers and sisters, in the church of the living God, we look at one another in Christ. And as God loves us and rejoices over us and has peace with us because he sees Christ in us, so we love and we rejoice in and we delight in each other and we have peace with one another because we see Christ in one another. And so Christ pours that peace. He pours it in. And he works that peace in us by his Spirit through the Word and the sacraments. I've talked about that before, that the Word and the sacraments are like three great big pipes that just pour the grace, the love, the goodness Of God into our lives, which is why it's so important to be diligent in the means of grace, to to seek with hunger the word of God, to delight in the sacraments. And young people, if you haven't professed your faith yet, to, to desire, to long for the day when you can eat the bread and drink the wine, and you can be fed and nourished with the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Because it is through the word and the sacraments that all this goodness, all this grace, all this power Love and joy and peace has poured into us. So, the question is this, brothers and sisters, as we hear the gospel of peace this morning is there peace in this church? Can the community around us see the peace of the age to come reigning in our midst? and ruling in our hearts. Is there peace in our families? In our homes? Is there the taste of heavenly peace? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident, children, in how we talk to our mom and dad and how we argue or don't argue with our siblings? When the windows are open... What are the sounds that the neighbors are hearing? Are they the sounds of peace and joy and love? You see, even when you play with or interact with your brothers and sisters, you are either preaching the gospel with your life or not. Is there peace in our marriage? Is there shalom between husband and wife, I'm not talking about kind of a, a decision to just have an uneasy peace, to have a cessation of hostilities, to just get along on the outside and ignore the things that are undealt with. I'm talking about real peace. Have we dealt with the things that we need to deal with between husband and wife? Have we, are we experiencing the peace of the Holy Spirit in that there is no undealt with sin in our marriages? And is there peace in our daily lives and in our hearts? Does the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Because if it does, people will notice. Our neighbors will see it. People at work will, will will be able to tell. On social media, we're going to stick out because we are peacemakers. We we sow in righteousness. We harvest in peace. We are full of the peace of the Spirit of God. Now, you may be listening to me speak here, and you may be thinking, "Well, I'm a very bad Christian because I'm not at peace. I am anxious. I'm uh, I'm I'm." Depressed, I suffer pain and anxiety. I'm worried. I, I have my life is full of struggles. My relationships are full of struggles, and it sounds like the minister is telling me that I'm not a good Christian, brothers and sisters. The peace of the Spirit does not mean necessarily the absence of pain or affliction in life, in the body, or in the mind. God's children can and do suffer pain in our bodies and our minds and lives. We suffer pain and and anxiety and depression. The question is this, how do we deal with these things? How How do we go through them? Because there are two ways, you see. There's the reaction with the works of the flesh where we take our pain, our anxiety, our depression, and the, the troubles of our lives and relationships, and we go to the works of the flesh, and we, and we have anger and bitterness and jealousy and envy. Or we can react in the power of the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit filling our hearts. We can take this pain, this anxiety, this depression, and we can carry this cross, in the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we suffer, we know that all is well between us and God. And we know that it hurts right now because we are not yet experiencing the full consummation of the work of Christ. We're still waiting for the day when the perfect shalom will also heal our broken bodies and our broken minds so brother or sister it's not a question of magically when you believe in the lord jesus then life is just everything is going fine there's no problems the question is is how are we dealing with the problems that there are the second thing i want to draw your attention to is that this peace of the holy spirit is not based on our feelings it's not based on our experiences it's not based on our emotions but this peace that we enjoy in the Spirit is an objective truth of the gospel. It is ministered to us by word and by sacrament and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the peace of the gospel, the peace of God, the peace of the Spirit is something that we need to hold on to and believe and embrace by faith. Turn to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26, 3. And you see that connection that the prophet makes. In Isaiah twenty 26.3, he says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And when the Bible says trust, the Bible means believe, have faith in. And if you look at those words, perfect peace, you know what's behind that in Hebrew? Shalom means peace in Hebrew, right? Well, when the prophet wants to say perfect peace, he says, shalom, shalom, you keep him in shalom, shalom, in overflowing, perfect, and full peace when you trust in him. Look at verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. This peace comes to us by the way of faith, brothers and sisters. We know the peace of God which passes all understanding because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know it. We experience this peace by faith. And when we have that faith in Jesus, then the church is a shelter. The church is a refuge in the storm. The church is an oasis of peace in the desert of conflict and hatred. And when we hold on to that peace that we have in Christ by faith, then we have something to offer to the world. Then we have something which makes sinners jealous. Then we have something which makes sinners around us say, I want what you have. I want the peace that you have in your heart. How can you deal with all the problems in your life and still be so at peace? I don't understand. And then we can tell them. We can give an account of the hope that is within us. And we can point them to the Prince of Peace. And we say, it's not me. It's the one who lives in me and the one in whom I live. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to know him. Brothers and sisters, is that what's what's happening in our lives? Are people looking at us and saying, I want the peace that's in your heart. I want the peace that's in your marriage. I want the peace that dwells in your home. I want the peace that's in your church community. That's what we have to offer to the world. We have a lot more to offer to the world than just dry theology and right thinking. But we have the gospel to share. Look at Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah 52, 7. What does the scripture say? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's what the Bible says is the gospel. It's the proclamation of peace. When Peter talks to the centurion in Acts chapter 10, he calls the gospel the preaching of the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And when Paul speaks about the armor of faith in Ephesians 6, he says that our feet need to be shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? It means that Christians are eager, they're willing, they're ready, they're prepared to go and to do what it takes to make it happen that the gospel goes out, the gospel of peace, that's what the Lord Jesus came to do. That's what the job that he gave his church to continue. Ephesians 2.17 says this, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. What does that mean? Well, peace to those who are near preaches, peace to the covenant people, peace to those who are far off are those who are outside of God's covenant people. That's what Jesus came to do. That's the job he gave to the church to do, to preach the gospel Of peace. And so, brothers and sisters, we have this incredibly rich treasure. Just look at the liturgy sheet. How do we begin every Sunday? We hear the greeting of our God, grace to you, and peace. And how do we end every Sunday? We hear the blessing of our God in the afternoon worship service at the end. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We begin our worship with peace. We end it with peace. Peace rules in our hearts. Peace transforms our lives, our relationships, and our congregation. And so we embrace the gospel of peace. And through the word and the sacraments, the gospel of peace flows like a river. The peace of the Spirit of God fills our lives. It overflows in our words and attitudes and actions. And when that's happening, brothers and sisters, then we have something that our broken and hurting world needs so desperately. We're calling them to come into the kingdom of eternal peace. Come, serve the Prince of Peace. Come to the one who makes everything right again between you and God, between you and and others. And so we can delight and rejoice in the peace of the Holy Spirit. What does Paul say to the Corinthians? Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.